0: And now I'm very excited to introduce someone who is no stranger to climate advocacy in any respect, an expert in policy and action, and someone who's been a leader at the forefront of sustainability and the advocacy for many of the solutions we've been talking about today throughout his life and career, who brings a deep passion and deep expertise to how we will meet this challenge and a lot of recent action in government now to ensuring we do. So please join me in welcoming for... His closing keynote remarks, and then a conversation with Anna Fox Carney, the Minister of Environment and Climate Change for Canada. Stephen, Gibault. Thank you very much, Brendan. Merci beaucoup. Um,
1: mer- thank you for this introduction. Merci aux organisateurs de Canadain 2020 de m'avoir invité aussi aujourd'hui. Je suis heureux de, de voir plusieurs visages familiers. Tout d'abord, j'aimerais reconnaître que la région de la capitale nationale est située sur le territoire traditionnel du peuple algonquin Anishinaabe. Ces terres, comme bien d'autres dans notre pays, ont été le territoire traditionnel et ancestraux des peuples autochtones qui veillent sur ces terres depuis des millénaires. Aujourd'hui, nous sommes confrontés aux impacts des changements climatiques et nous avons besoin des connaissances et de la participation des peuples autochtones pour faire en sorte que ces terres demeurent habitables. I've just returned from Sapporo, Japan, where I took part in this year's G7 ministers meeting on climate, energy, and environment with my colleague, Minister Wilkinson. What I can tell you is that the world's leading economies are seized with the crisis of climate change, biodiversity loss, and pollution, and that every country in the world, whether they want it or not, are now part of a competitive race to develop the clean energy opportunities that will power this century for Canada. This is an exciting, challenging, and potentially immensely rewarding era. More than ever before, it is well understood that the economy and the environment are intricately linked; That a healthy economy and a healthy environment can't exist without the other. That one drives the other. Building a strong, forward-looking economy and creating a more secure, affordable, decarbonized world, they are one and the same thing. And that's exactly what we are doing when we aim for net zero together. As a government, we are laying the groundwork in collaboration with businesses across the country to achieve a more prosperous and more sustainable Canada. This is the work of any responsible government, given what we face. I've heard people talk about turning the ship of state, and it's a good analogy. It's a huge ship and you have to keep the ship on an even keel as you change course. Since 2016, we've been hard at work, getting Canada back on course to where we are now, accelerating our country to net zero. Last week, the National Inventory Report for 2021 showed Canada's overall emissions are down from pre-pandemic levels by more than 50 million tons. That's the equivalent of removing 11 million cars from our roads. In fact, Canada has the best performance for GHG reduction of all G7 countries Even as our economy roared back to life following the 2020 COVID shutdown, we are now even closer to our 2030 target. This is progress. This is a sign that climate actions are taking effect. And this is a tribute to the work of so many Canadians. Everyone in this room has something they are offering on our path to a more prosperous and sustainable Canada. I want to put today's talks in the context of two of the most recent instalments of our climate plan the 2030 Emissions Reduction Plan, and of course, Budget 2023. In March of last year, we unveiled the 2030 Emissions Reduction Plan, the most thorough and detailed climate plan in our country's history. It's a plan that continued the course correction started by the Pan-Canadian Framework and Clean Growth and Climate Change. The Emission Reduction Plan gives a sector-by-sector roadmap towards cutting our emissions by at least 40% below 2005 levels, by 2030, while creating a thriving low-carbon economy. In this year's budget, we turned up the throttle, full steam ahead, with some $80 billion in measures to support Canadian businesses and spur innovation, pushing our total climate commitments over $200 billion. When everyone from the Business Council of Alberta, to the David Suzuki Foundation, to the Conseil du du Québec, is sharing positive feedback about the climate measures in your budget. You know, you've got something right. Budget 2023 offers what we now like to call the big five, five big tax credits that will help accelerate Canadian investment in clean energy. Those are the clean electricity investment tax credit, a 15% refundable tax credit, the clean technology manufacturing investment credit equal to 30% of investments. The Clean Hydrogen Investment Tax Credit, ranging from 15 to 40% of cost. The Expanded Clean Technology Investment Tax Credit, that now includes geothermal energy systems and the the Carbon Capture Utilization and Storage Investment Tax Credit. The Big Five tax measures, along with some important program investments, makes this the most impactful budget in the the history of Canada to fight climate change and create a clean electrified economy because as was highlighted when president biden was in town earlier this month a good environmental plan is a good economic plan is a good security plan if you're looking to lead this country and you don't have a climate plan then you don't have a long-term plan for our economy or our security nous faisons d'importants investissements pour assurer que le canada ne prenne pas de retard en cette période de changement mondial qui implique d'énormes potentiels Nous concluons des ententes importantes avec des compagnies nationales et internationales pour soutenir des solutions novatrices en matière de technologie propres. En voici un exemple. Il y a quelques semaines, nous avons conclu un partenariat avec la société allemande Hildeberg Materials pour l'installation d'un système de captage du carbone à l'une de ses cimenteries au Canada. Selon ce qui est estimé, le projet créera 2000 emplois et permettra de capter la totalité des émissions de gaz à effet de serre de l'usine. Ce n'est qu'un des exemples parmi tant d'autres, mais ensemble, tous ces efforts nous aident à progresser vers nos objectifs de carboneutralité. The goal of fighting climate change and getting to net zero should be beyond partisanship. Full stop. Climate action is a driving force for economic prosperity this century. And yet somehow in the age we live in, it has become a rallying point of our governments of opposition. Surely this should unite us all. All Canadians want prosperity, good jobs and more vibrant, healthy communities now and into the future. There is no question about that. We are on the cusp of an economic boom driven by environmental necessity. It's a global race and we must not be left behind. Canada has joined over 120 countries committing to be net zero emissions by 2050. And we can do this. Our workforce is one of the most educated in the world. We have world-class research institutions and abundant sources of clean energy. We have an electricity grid that is already 84% non-emitting and moving towards net zero by 2035. It is the job of a government to create the market signals to help steer the way. That's why we launch our net zero challenge. The net zero challenge helps businesses to develop plans to transition their facilities and operations to net zero emissions by 2050 and recognize them for their achievements. Participation in this program is picking up speed. Over 70 companies of all sizes and across all economic sectors are participating. We want net zero to become the default business practice in Canada, and the federal government can lead by example. We are the largest procurer of goods and services in Canada. Buy clean is the idea that we can set those market signals by demanding those who do business with the government are equal part of the solution. That's why a new procurement directive requires that all federal contracts worth more than $25 million can only go to companies that publish their annual greenhouse gas emissions and commit to getting to net zero by 2050. And today I'm happy to announce we are advancing another key measure for better evidence-based key decision-making. We're publishing an update set of values to help government properly account for the cost of climate change in the decisions we take called the social cost of carbon. The idea is not new and has been in practice in Canada and the United States since 2010. The updates to the social cost of carbon simply shows that every ton of greenhouse gas is costing the economy more. Because for every policy measure we take, we cannot evaluate its, its economic merits if we, are, if we aren't factoring the cost of climate change to our society. This cost comes from many factors, human health effects, lost agricultural productivity, property damage for increased flood risk, disruption of energy system, and much more. We've been aligning with our partners in the United States to establish a common, updated understanding of the economic benefits from avoiding greenhouse gas emissions. Since 2016, we've been accounting for the cost of climate change within government decision-making at $54 per tonne for 2020 emissions. But with the latest advance in scientific knowledge and economic evidence, we have updated those cost estimate. We set a new value of $247 a ton for 2020. And for 2023, it's going to be $261 ton, dollars per ton. In 2030, we're estimating $294 per ton. Pause for a moment to understand what this signifies. Every ton of carbon we reduce this year saves society as a whole $261. And we are talking in terms of cutting megatons, millions of tons. Aujourd'hui, nous instaurons de nouvelles valeurs au sein du gouvernement du Canada qui permettront de mieux tenir compte de tous les coûts que représentent les changements climatiques et la pollution. Par coût social du carbone, il faut entendre la comptabilité réelle qui doit guider toute décision gouvernementale responsable. Je veux parler d'un véritable processus décisionnel fondé sur des données probantes, fondé sur la science. Et c'est quelque chose que nous défendrons. Carzeal. Par exemple, les automobiles, les camionnettes et les VUS du Canada produisent en moyenne 3,4 tonnes de pollution carbone par année. Ça représente des coûts sociaux d'environ 900 que nous devons payer collectivement pour chaque véhicule sur nos routes. Vous comprendrez donc qu'il est essentiel de faire la transition vers des véhicules zéro émission. Autre exemple, nous avons récemment publié un projet de règlement qui fixe des cibles de vente de véhicules zéro émission pour les constructeurs et les, et les importateurs d'automobiles passagers, afin que la totalité des véhicules vendus au pays soit zéro émission d'ici 2035. Bien, la semaine dernière, les États-Unis ont publié leur propre règlement, qui accroîtra la rigueur actuelle des normes américaines de performance. Ce règlement devrait faire en sorte que les deux tiers des véhicules légers neufs vendus aux États-Unis seront à émission zéro d'ici 2032. Cela montre à quel point le marché évolue rapidement. Au Canada… Les ventes de véhicules à zéro émission ont presque doublé chaque année au cours des deux dernières années et nous faisons des investissements massifs pour veiller à ce que les bons emplois syndiqués liés à ces véhicules soient ici, au Canada. Malheureusement, nous avons un chef de l'opposition qui doute ouvertement des avantages environnementaux des véhicules à zéro émission qui couperait les subventions à l'achat pour les consommateurs. De plus, la loi sur la réduction de l'inflation du président Biden offre d'énormes incitatifs aux investissements dans l'économie propre. Il s'agit du plus important ensemble de mesures législatives consacrées à l'action climatique de la planète, qui autorise des dépenses de de l'ordre de 369 milliards de dollars et qui a attiré d'énormes investissements au sud de la frontière. La loi sur la réduction de l'inflation a fait exploser la concurrence au sein de la course à l'innovation dans les domaines des technologies propres. Et c'est une course mondiale. Divers pays partout sur la planète progressent rapidement dans cette compétition internationale pour l'investissement et l'innovation. Même si l'invasion illégale de l'Ukraine par la Russie a fait augmenter les prix de l'énergie en Europe et partout dans le monde, nous constatons déjà que la principale réponse à l'agression russe est une hausse des efforts déployés dans les énergies renouvelables et des efforts encore plus concertés dirigés vers les investissements et et l'innovation dans les domaines de l'énergie propre. Everywhere you look, there is support and momentum towards a clean environment and a clean economy. Look at the markets. The Toronto Stock Exchange list of top performers for 2022 show that investors are voting with their wallets, choosing companies in the vanguard of the clean energy transition. We know that what we do now will help shape long-term market decisions that will last generations. Taking climate change action to reduce emissions is no longer just about clear environmental benefits. It's a critical economic opportunity that, we'll, that will maintain and create jobs for Canadians for decades to come. And we can't be left behind. But together, we can get there.
0: Thank you, Thank you so very much, Minister. That uh, was a fantastic overview of what your government is doing to meet this challenge. And I will say that in the tour of sectors and researchers and other perspectives that we've had from government and communities today, I don't think there's a single person that hasn't mentioned something they like Uh, about the budget um, that came this year, just last month. Uh, And so it's heartening to see that there's real progress being made on so many of those fronts. There's lots I would love to get into, but we'll let someone else do that. And that person who I'm very pleased to welcome is a former vice president research actually of Canada 2020, as well as being senior advisor for Eurasia Group today and strategic advisory board member at TerraMera, Diana Fox-Carney. Take it away, Diana, thanks very much.
2: Thank you very much, Braden. Uh Thanks to everyone who's still here. We've had a really full day, but it's been an excellent, excellent discussion. And thanks mostly to the minister for coming and sharing with us a really important announcement today. So I'd love to press you a little bit more on that. And there may be people in the room who don't appreciate uh, perhaps the, the details of the social cost of carbon. So um, I think what's amazing is A, that you've announced it, B, that the numbers you're talking about are extremely high. The current number in the U.S. is 51 U.S. dollars. There, there, there was a recommendation from the EPA to put that up to 190, uh, which translates to about 255 uh, at, at Canadian dollars, is my quick calculation. So you're exceeding that from the outset, from the get-go. Um, and, and I imagine that your department has been working on this for quite some while because it is an extremely complicated calculation, for sure. So... Uh, what I'd love to hear from you is, is really about what impact you expect that to have on the decision-making going forward.
1: Well, first, uh, you are right. This is something that, uh, that my department, as well as others, have been, uh, been working on for, for quite some time. Um, and, and it is something we've, we've worked closely with, with the United States. We may be a little bit ahead of them uh, on that, but, but I think that's okay. Um, I think that they'll catch up soon enough. Um, I mean, the difference that it, every time we we develop a new piece of, of regulation, for example, or, or, or legislation on climate change or environmental issue, one of the things we must do as a department is to try and estimate what will be the economic cost of implementing that uh, that, that that new piece of regulation. Um, and if you're looking at climate change, if you're if you're looking at this. And you have a social cost of carbon of fifty four dollars, um, then you know you, the economic impacts will will be X. But if you, all of a sudden, because the science and our understanding of the impacts of climate change has evolved a, a lot over the last few years, um, you end up with a with an updated uh, social cost of carbon like the one I've I've announced today, then it it completely changes the the economics of of what we are trying to do, and it makes projects that would have been difficult uh, to move forward with all of a sudden you're looking at they will be real benefit of avoided emissions in in Canada and avoiding avoided impacts of climate change on 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 Canadians so i think what it will enable us to do is to really accelerate what what we have been doing in Canada i think we we've been doing good things uh, but but there's more to do so we're we're almost at a, a well in 2021. Our national inventories are based on 2021 numbers. In 2021, we were almost at a quarter of where we need to be to meet the lower end of our of our 2030 targets, which we know is not enough. Uh, and and certainly, if, if we needed another reminder, the, the the latest report of the IPCC clearly signaled that we needed to accelerate. So this will enable us to do exactly that. There's so
2: many questions I could ask. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the questions is is really about the narrative around a social cost of carbon because it is it is an estimate of climate damages and are those damages limited to canada there is a question as to whether one calculates that domestically or internationally and we all know that the developing countries are suffering enormously so how have we chosen to calculate that how has your team chosen so i mean you're right. This is not obviously a, a perfect model.
1: It, it is based on on, on Canadian, so we're not looking. We're not trying to, to, to look at worldwide impacts of uh, of climate change. Maybe one day we will get there collectively, um, and and maybe that the next at COP 28, the the global stock take and and the next round of discussion on, on nationally determined contribution NDCs will be an opportunity to to start expanding our, our collective. Analysis of, of the impacts of climate change and how do we start internalizing do, do, those costs. But, but right now, the way we've, we, we're looking at it is really from a, from a domestic lens, looking at domestic regulations and, and legislation.
2: And the relationship between the carbon tax and the social cost of carbon, in an, how would you see that? How would you see explaining that to people why there is a difference between those two? Well, I should point out that it's not a tax, uh, Sorry, as, price, the, the, carbon, as, as the, the, the price carbon. Yes. reminded us, yes.
1: um, yes. It, I'm not, I, I don't think I'll be talking publicly a whole lot about the social cost of, of carbon simply because it, it, it yes. is a, a bit of a complex, um, concept to, 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 to grapple with, especially in a, you know, what you usually get in an interview, like a 30 second soundbite. Um, but, but, but I think, um, we certainly uh, in a, in a case of carbon pricing um we fought two federal elections where carbon pricing was not the only uh issue that was debated but certainly one of the issue that was debated where they were you know for major political parties in favor of carbon pricing and one against um it looks like uh Pierre Poiliev's conservatives are will be happy to go back to the polls and fight a third uh, federal election campaign uh, where carbon pricing will be uh, at the at the heart of of the election. I'm I'm I think I'm very happy very happy to have that battle. I think the prime minister uh, is uh, will be very happy to to, to have that battle uh, yet a third time.
2: And I, I I absolutely take your point that you're not going to go out there and talk about this and this is a bit of a geeky topic. Nonetheless, what we've heard today is is the importance of really talking about both the the costs of not adapting and not changing our economy and and the potential opportunities uh, of doing so. And and the fact that we need to have a narrative and a discussion with Canadians broadly uh, about about the fact that a future that is the same as today doesn't exist. It is a very expensive thing to do nothing. And I think that hopefully this does enable you to to talk about that in, in a different way. I think, I mean, I think we have, and there's a
1: lot of data out there and, and research that that tells us we haven't been collectively doing a good job of communicating on climate change. We we have been communicated in in rather complex terms about about this issue, and, and I think we we've done a, a disservice to to ourselves collectively and and to Canadians as well. Um, we've tried to bring them to where we wanted to be in, instead of meeting them where they are on on this issue. Clearly, I mean. By and large, when you look at polls, Canadian the Canadians they get it. Like they 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 see the impacts of climate change. They understand that something needs to happen. They they, they largely support climate action. Um, but I, I think we need to do a better job of communicating. Uh, not not so much that the nitty- we'll leave the the you know the geeky details to people like you. But I, I think what, what 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 we need to do when we're talking to Canadians is paint a better picture of the of this brave new world that we're trying to, to, to build together. Because that's, that's really what, what this is about, and, and to minimize the impacts of climate change and to, cre- and, and to create a better Canada and a better world um, for, for, for our kids and grandkids. And I think that's what the conversation should be about, and, and perhaps less about some of the, you know, how, how we get there from a, from a very technical point of view.
2: In terms of the commitments that the government has made, uh, and that are legislated now. I mean, we, we started our day today with uh, Dale telling us about, and, and you yourselves acknowledged that, that the measures, the legislated measures were not sufficient to meet the, the targets. And that was, that's now a little date in that analysis. And since that time, we've had the budget um, and we've had, we now have this announcement would you when you come to when you revisit those those calculations this year, would you how close you know can we get there um, now, or are there other big things that we're likely to have to do to meet those twenty thirty targets? So the emission plan contained uh, a, a number of measures that had
1: already been announced, either investments, regulations. um since then we 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 we've put other things on the table, including a lot of money at, at the last budget. we. We are legislated to, to, to present to the House of Commons this year an updated version of, of the Emissions Reduction Plan, the ERP, by, by the end of the year. So you can anticipate that this updated version will contain new measures that, that have been announced. And, I mean, the Prime Minister has been very clear we, we will meet our, our 2030 targets. And, and, and I think that the, we should work. So right now, our Emissions Reduction Plan mapped out how we get to at least more minus 40%. I I think myself the team and the prime minister we want to go further than that. We let's let's aim for the for the upper end of um, of uh, of that target. We, we may not have all the material we need to get there yet, but we still have a, a little bit of time ahead of us.
2: That is good. I mean, we haven't been that good at meeting targets in the past. So it will be I'm reluctant to say okay, well I I think we
1: in Canada, and I, I, I played in that movie, and I was a an active participant in that movie for a long time. Of having to eat it, spending too much time debating, you know, what what should be the target, and not enough time debating how do we get there. And I think the the approach that that the government took when when we came in in 2015 is we we had this target wasn't ours; it was previous government. But but before talking about Having a new target, we we said let's sit down and, and see how we get there because there was no plan, there was no measures, and we did that. And then when we when we figured we could get to, to at least thirty percent, we said okay, well maybe we can we can go higher. And and then the second climate change plan brought us to thirty six minus thirty six percent. We said okay, we can get there, but maybe we can go beyond. And now the ERP shows how we can get to at least forty percent. Let's keep going because because it, it's not enough. We need to we know we need to do more.
2: And I think what's been good about today is we've heard some we've heard from people who are doing very practical things to get us there. One of the things that's one of the recurrent themes that has come up has been the issue of time. We don't have much time left, uh, and it takes a lot of time uh, to do things. So permitting uh, comes up repeatedly. Uh, how, do we, how do we compress that without losing the value of, of, of the reviews that, that, that take place? And then there are also questions about Decisions about consultations to make plans, and it just there seems to be many, many steps to get to things. And in the meantime, we have a very short period of time. So, do you have any ideas about how we can accelerate action? Uh, things that people really want to do, but are struggling to get done. Um,
1: On consultations, you, when you're in government, you never win. Like it's a, it's it's always a no-win situation. On the emissions reduction plan last year. Um, on the same day, um, we there were two press releases that came from two opposition parties. I, I won't name them. Um, one of them condemning the government for for wanting to extend the consultation on the emissions reduction plan by, I think it was 30 days or 45 days, and the other press release from another opposition party saying, "How dare we not extend the consultation period so that more Canadians can can participate?" In the end, I think we had. Twenty-eight thousand individual individual submissions uh, into the uh, ERP consultation project process. Um, the only time we had more was for the national adaptation strategy. I think we went over thirty thousand. We have to walk this fine line of trying to find ways to to go fast while bringing people along with it, as many people as we as we can. Um, and the same is true of uh, of, uh, of environmental impact assessment. Um, I mean, first people should, should realize that the federal government only uh, evaluate about 10% of, um, of projects that, that, that are brought forward in, in the country. The other ones, some of them don't need to go through environmental impact assessment. Many of them go through provincial impact assessment. The commitment we've made is to try as much as we can to avoid duplicating. So if a, we have, a, for example, we have a, an agreement with, with the government of British Columbia uh, on impact assessment, if they're doing it, we, we won't, we won't duplicate, duplicate ours, um, to try and, 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 save time. We, we, we still have some fiduciary responsibility that we have to take care of, but we can do that while leaning on another government's process if they have good processes, which is unfortunately not the case necessarily across the country. Um, and, and there's really two things that are going to slow down, um, the approval of a project. A consultation with indigenous peoples. if you don't get it right, if, if if you you know if you go and see communities with a baked in project and say, "This is it, chances are it may not be very well received. we We recently uh, I recently approved a lithium mine in, uh, in the Quebec side of James Bay, uh, where all of the impact assessment was done jointly with the Cree, And the project overall took nine years to be to be permanent. For seven years, the project was on pause because the price of lithium wasn't good enough. So the company asked us to put the project on pause. But when we started, it took two years. And and the entire impact assessment, again, was done in collaboration with Decree. There was even a referendum in in, in those communities, and the referendum was positive. So if you're a developer and you know that the communities you'll be working with have already approved your project, it seriously diminishes your risk of, of facing, facing a backlash. So... Uh, Good consultations uh, and involvement of indigenous peoples from from the get go and species at risks and and for that my my advice to people is come and see us early on in the process when you want to develop a project come and speak to folks at the impact assessment agency of canada they will be they will help you prepare your project so that when you come the the approval process can can go quickly because my my worry when i hear people say let's streamline like we are seeing not in my backyard for 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 solar development for for wind development when i was at Iquita, i would go and participate in impact assessment project to support wind development because there was a lot of nimby and i was trying to help people understand how important these projects are so it's a so it's a, it's a real fine line where we're we're walking on but we you're right i mean we need to to accelerate the deployment of these solutions as fast as we can, but at the same time try and make sure that people don't feel we're trying to bulldoze over them.
2: Another factor that's come up on a number of occasions is is the issue of people, talent, workers, and whether or not we have the workforce that is ready to do some of these quite dirty jobs. And the point is, these, these aren't sort of the construction phase of a lot of these things are, are, are quite tough jobs, and we don't necessarily have the workforce for that. Is that something that you're thinking about? Oh, definitely. I, I,
1: clearly, it, it's an issue for pretty much everyone around the globe, um, but it's certainly a, a, an issue in in Canada, We, uh, which is why we, we need to make sure that we are creating th- those good jobs, but also we, we need to work with provinces to ensure that uh, the education programs that, that we have in those provinces are training people who will be able to 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 build wind turbines and to install solar parks and to install geothermal uh, systems or or heat pumps uh our, our our green home retrofit program uh was in in many ways a victim of its own success because the demand was so high and we didn't have enough auditors to go and go to people's home and and do the evaluation so you can get the federal support for for for, for the retrofits or, you're doing we're training now about 2000 of those auditors to be able to accelerate the deployment of, of of these solutions but but it will be a a key factor in our ability to deploy those solutions having having the proper trained
2: and, and available skill force to do that and a, a backbone of the plan in general has to be must be electrification of the economy overall the clean grid Again, it's been mentioned a number of times. I mean, it, that's not a federal, uh, it, it's not entirely in your uh, jurisdiction, let's put it that way. So how, having set the objective, are there any hidden tricks you have up your sleeve to really get the provinces working together um, on <laughs> this? Can you give us hope for yeah, yeah. unblocking this? The- we
1: so the, obviously the federal government doesn't control the, the, the use of natural resources in the province, but where we clearly have control is over pollution, and the Supreme Court was was very clear in, in its ruling on on that, and that's exactly the tool we will use to to decarbonize our our, our grid by 2035. We um, we will have draft regulations uh, on this by the summer. I I would imagine or July uh, f- and and final regs uh, adopted uh, somewhere in 2024, hopefully the middle of, of 2024, which by the way, I mean, I, 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 let's take a moment to appreciate the fact that it took almost six years to adopt the regulations on the clean peel standard in Canada. And now for, for, for new methane regs, for ZEV mandate, for net zero grid by 2035, the oil and gas cap, we will likely adopt all of these regulations in about two years, about 24 mm-hmm. months. Like we've, when we were talking about trying to accelerate processes, this is an example, a very concrete example of environment and climate change Canada saying, okay, we have to do better. Like we can't, if we take five years or six years, every time we need to put a new regs out the door, we'll, we'll never get there. Um, so the, the, the clean electricity regulation will be um, And I I thought when we started talking about this, I thought there would be like a, an uproar from provinces and crown corporations and private developers and uh, electricity regulators. And actually by and large, it's not unanimous, but by and large, it's been a very positive conversation. I think people get it. I think they understand. So obviously, you know. We want to make sure we, we get the regs right in terms of reliability of uh, off the grid and peak demand. And, and it's, it's a very complex piece of, of regulation, but but people are coming to us and sitting at the table and having those really detailed and important conversations. And there's there has there has not been this, oh, we don't want to, you know, we're not interested in, in what you're doing, federal government. I mean, there's some of it publicly, but when we sit down with, with people at, to, to actually have those conversations, there's there's a lot of really good collaboration. So, I'm quite hopeful. Good to hear.
2: Yeah. Good to hear. So, one topic that hasn't come up much today, uh, and mm-hmm. since I'm here, I'll raise it, uh, and you raised something uh, that is of relevance, is you, you, talk, you briefly mentioned m- methane, I say methane, methane. Um, uh, agriculture. Canada is an agricultural powerhouse. We are projected to do better in agriculture through climate change um, than some countries certainly would do. Uh, we haven't talked about it today. The methane regulations don't really touch agricultural methane no. um, emissions. Do we have a plan?
1: Well, if you look at, again, the, the emission reduction plan, it's kind of my lighthouse. I, it should be our lighthouse, really. Um, I mean, We have announced a number of measures uh, not so much on the regulatory side, but really on the on on the support side, on the on, on the carrot side, to accompany the agru- the agricultural sector to help them r- reduce uh, their 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 carbon footprint. Uh, the milk producers have made a commitment to be to be carbon neutral by by 2050 and are starting to to deploy measures. I'm hoping that other sectors of the uh, of the agricultural world will will also look at what the, the milk industry is doing and saying, okay, well if they're doing it, we. We we can do it as well, and we're we're accompanying them as well as Ag Canada, uh, in 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 this transition. So there's there's a just like in all the other sectors of our economy, there's a lot of work to to be done there as well.
2: Oh, that's that. We I hope I hope we uh, we do it. Um, Last question. Uh, We're nearly out of time. The old you, the campaigning you. What would that you say if you knocked on your? door now what would be the demands that you would be making to yourself as it were i i think it's no
1: big secret that i came into politics to continue my my activism and um i, I guess the best way to illustrate the my role in government is to tell you a little anecdote so i uh, were in glasgow uh at the end of 2021 for 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 cop 26 uh, it's the leader summit prime minister's there a bunch of other leaders I'm I'm invited with him. I'm I'm invited to be his plus one in a very small room meeting. There's about 40 people. Angela Merkel is there, Miranda Modi, uh, Mia Motley from Barbados, President Biden, Boris Johnson. I'm sitting behind the Prime Minister and President Biden is doing his intervention. Uh, and when he finishes, he's, he waits a little bit and he gets up to leave. And the Prime Minister turns to me and he says, have you ever met President President Biden? And I said, of course, I've never met the President of the United States. And he says, come with me. And and the prime minister like literally grabs the president of the United States by the shoulder with his 15 bodyguards around and, and he says, Joe, come here, let me introduce you to my new environment minister. He's a real climate activist. He was arrested four times. That was my first introduction to the president of the United States. Um, but, and, and, and the, it's, it wasn't, it wasn't the last time the prime minister has introduced me, uh, to, to, to people like that. I, he he wanted a climate activist uh, and an environmental activist as an environment minister. Uh, so my role and, and the, if you look at the, the very, very long mandate letter that he's given me, second longest after the finance minister, uh, he, he wants me to do a lot of things and, and to accelerate what we do on, on climate and biodiversity and fighting, fighting plastic pollution. So I think that the, the activist in me is never very far. My tactics certainly changed. And the tools that I have at my disposal are very different than when I was with Greenpeace or Ricky Town, But the uh, I, I would like to think that the drive that I had then is still here with me now.
2: So you might knock on the door and say, "Not a bad job, well done." I'd say I'd say I like what you're doing, but you need to do more. Give me
1: more is probably what I'd say.
2: That's good. And I think we all know that we need to do more, but we have a great starting point. So thank you so much. Thank you.